This is Christina West with An Artist's Life. Chapter 2 on Art and Healing, continuing the conversation. In 9-11, when 9-11 happened, I was at JFK, and I was in a private, you know, MA degree, and... Being there seemed absolutely irrelevant uh, to what, to the enormity of what happened. Everybody was sent home that day, and so my roommates were home. Everybody was flipped out. And we decided to do some crafts together. I I can't remember what we did at that time. Probably... uh, some sort of affirmation that we were still alive and, you know, prayers for the world. And we put it up on the mantle over the fireplace. But, of course, every class, whether you're in a shamanic, you know, class on learning shamanic something, or if you were in a class on what transformative arts was, or you're in a class for writing your CV, whatever the deal is, it was all 9-11. And it was 9-11 for a long time. So I decided, as a doll maker, I'm a dream worker, a doll maker, an artist, a sculptor. You know, if you live any length of time and you're an artist, we tend to delve into a lot of things. I'm also a writer and a group leader, teach men and women's groups. So, you know, I had that history. I had a dream, actually, that led me to go to JFK. And I left everything. I left my practice as a shamanic practitioner, two or three, four groups running, private counseling, shamanic counseling. And on that one dream, I, I left everything. So it was a really big deal for me to be, be there. And it was extremely traumatic for everyone for 9-11, but we were on, you know, the West Coast, and so I had to take this into my heart like any human being does. What is life worth? What is the point? What are we doing? How can we help? Can I help? What's next? Is this the beginning of something? You know, nobody knew what was going on. So I had a fabulous rental, and it was, I, I found the house, and I got roommates to come in because it was way too much for, for me, for one person, going to school. And the hole downstairs was a basement and a garage. So there was this garage that was like a drive through which would have been the equivalent of a three-car garage. And then they had a room with a door that was... 30 by 22 by 30, 40. I mean, it was huge. And that was where I did art for two years and used the, the drive-through. Nobody parked there. But, but used the uh, fabulous other part for all the tools and the found objects and boxes of stuff that you have to have because if you decide suddenly as a painter and a sewer and a doll maker, you're going to actually do found objects, it's a whole new strata of stuff. But 
I was doing some dull work. I was making, doing some sewing and some construction on a new design that I was working with. So doll making, as if you look at my site in Artist Life, you'll see doll making. I've been doing dolls since 1990. And, you know, from my mom's Barbies, which I adored. So I decided to invite some of the artists, and I didn't know these people really, but some of them to my studio, because it's huge, and to make dolls. And that we wanted to make dolls for some of the kids that lost their parents in 9-11. That's all we could think to do, was to give them something that they could hang on to. And uh, there was six, one, two, three, four, five, six, six of us. And we made, I guess, six or seven dolls. I actually can't remember now. Maybe more. And I didn't know anybody in New York. Like, who do I know? And... And how do I find someone who's connected to this whole 9-11 thing that could actually get the dolls to the kids? Well, I didn't have to do everything, which is so marvelous in a community, because out of nowhere, somebody came forward and said, I know somebody who's plugged into so-and-so, you know, or it's a nonprofit, and they're actually working with it, and it's my brother or his brother's cousin, and he's going to give the dolls to the kids. It's like, boom. We didn't have to worry about it. So that happened. But it wasn't really that satisfying in the enormity of the event. So I took that question into my heart and there was a a, a woman who because you always had guest speakers coming, which just always blew your mind. You just go, Man, I've been living in a vacuum. And that's what Berkeley should do to you. It should just blow your mind and open you up to so many levels. You know, I remember one gal doing a performance art uh, in um, fins and a and an underwater mask. You know, ripping paper, and then you think, "What's happening?" <laughs> it's good for you. So, what I came to was. Um, I remember this gal who had come in, and she was an artist-in-residence at Oakland Children's Hospital. And there's a great story that went along with this, which I'm going to try to make fast so we can get to my uh, art and healing story, my second part. She wanted, she was a children's clothing designer, and she'd done it for years, and she had good money and blah, 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 but she wanted to do something different. So when she was at JFK, because this happened to her when she was there, she was a a graduate and had been gone for about three years, she wanted to do uh, work with children, ill children. And she went to all kinds of different ways to figure out how that could happen. And she finally ended up at Oakland Children's Hospital proposing to do an artist-in-residence program. Now, you have to understand, this is before, this is at the cutting edge of when this was happening in John John Hopkins Hospital, all that, you know, spirit, body, healing. These are the people that were the forerunners. And they took the brunt force of that, no way is that going to happen. And... She persevered. She got, she was able to work with the children for free uh, certain days of the week, which she did. Well, guess what? The doctors and nurses started, you know, notating 
that the kids weren't sick on certain days. They, they weren't as terrified. They weren't as terrified of the procedures that they had to have on certain days. And they couldn't figure it out. Why were these children better acclimate, acclimated to the same sort of procedures they have to do either every day or three times a week? They weren't vomiting. They weren't crying. They weren't as scared. I mean, these are viable results, they were saying. And finally, somebody said, well, you know, that artist comes in and she works with these kids on those days. You know, the penny drops. Now, you're talking materialistic doctors, right? And maybe nurses, for that matter. Just a materialistic mindset, set, you know, set of science. Well, they started watching to see if it continued, and it did. So they called her in and gave her a job. Ultimately, that's the short end of the story. I don't know if she's still there, but she broke ground. They they had a harpist come in. They, you know, many, many things happened for artists to come in and work with the children at Oakland Children's Hospital. So I had had that memory because she just blew my mind, and my heart was so wide open. Now, if you want to do an artist-in-residence program at Children's Hospital, which, you know, the door was opened by her, um, I went and talked to them to see if I could do uh, dolls for the kids there. Well, I had to get all the shots, and more shots than anybody should ever get in their life, and that wasn't going to happen for me. So I said, how can I do this project in conjunction with you that works? And so what we came up with is that we could do, we would do a project to make the dolls outside of Children's Hospital. And when we had the dolls ready, we could bring them and give them to the children. So that was the deal, and there was some sub subheadings to that agreement, which was the dolls that we made, no sticky, bumpy, owie things could be on it. No metal, you know, accoutrements, somebody going crazy with the design that could hurt the children in any way. There's basically a hundred or more, more or less, children at Children's Hospital Oakland. So we had to make a hundred dolls. That's a lot of dolls. (laughs) And then they had to be culturally diverse because there was all kinds of nationalities. So we had to make Hindu dolls, you know, black dolls, white dolls, yellow dolls, uh, boys and girl dolls, gender, no gender bias. So this was good. You know, this is all Berkeley stuff. And the only way we could actually give the dolls to the children is to hit that 100 marker. So uh, I had two friends at that time that um, co-curated this with me. And uh, you can find that online if you want. And these are three dedicated people, and then we got a fourth, who for, for, for nine months, <laughs> we hauled everything to Berkeley on the third floor. They did have a lift up to the third floor to use those huge art rooms. You know, it was perfect. All the massive wall was just windows. You could open. Uh, We set up tables. We hauled in sewing machines. 
We hauled in ironing boards. We hauled in irons. We hauled in scissors. We hauled in, what is it when you snip? You have to snip the threads, you know, the little cutters. I can't remember what they're called. We hauled in fabrics. We hauled in thread. We hauled in bobbins. We hauled in um, collage, not collage, um, felt. We hauled in all kinds of threads. We hauled in yarn, you know, for the hair. We hauled in bits of fabric, like crocheted bits and knitted bits and things that we could take apart. And we did that for nine months. It was a completely free project, and we called it the Gratitude Project. We were, A, grateful that we were alive and that we weren't in that building on 9-11. And with that comes a sense of shame that you lived and that was a trial you did not have to undergo. And I, for me anyway, and so giving something back that had merit for the community alleviated somewhat that feeling of hopelessness and despair that you don't, nothing matters anymore. And, and there's a lot of stories around this nine month project, but because it was free, because everything was there for them, which I'm from Santa Barbara, and we have a summer solstice parade. This is a little aside. And we have 150,000 people every year on June 21st, whatever the weekend is that Saturday is, come in and watch our parade. And I have been part of that parade years and years and years. I was, uh, I would, you know, do uh, little events. I would do pods. I was a clown many years. I was staff costumer you know, the whole deal. So I have that background. And I was also, I worked for a, a theater company that worked with children. So I've done sets and costumes and makeup and I've done the works. As well as being a fashionista, you know, I just have loved clothing. So so we knew, uh, you know, we knew this. this, this isn't, you know, Rocket science. This is doll making. Simple doll making. Something that, that when those lights went out at night in that vast, smelly hospital, because you know it always smells of at least alcohol, you know, that clean bleach smell, that those kids would have something to hold on to. That's the very basic human idea. So we called it the Dolls for Peace Project, um, Kids in Need, Need of a Cuddle. And we got so much free publicity. And what happens when you're in a community that is alive, like Berkeley, you say something and then somebody goes and does it. And suddenly one person's talking to the radio station, another person's talking to press releases, does it sent out. We got so much free publicity that we packed those workshops and this was before I was given, when I graduated, I was given a digital camera. And we didn't, I didn't document all this. I, I should have thousands of pictures of this. But I just was experiencing my life. And I, I, I didn't think about documenting it. So I'm giving you a little podcast instead. We had mothers bringing in their children. We had, you know, all colors of mothers bringing in their children. We had a, a woman bring in, I guess when you do an offense and you have, don't go to jail, but you get 
community service, bring in a couple of <laughs> broads that were really angry and they didn't want to be there and they just generated negative energy and we stuck them on a table with some fabrics and dolls and buttons and beads and you know within an hour they're making dolls and they're talking to each other so there's a little picture of of art and healing and it was fun and there was so much laughter and you know when a needle breaks and you got to put the needle in the sewing machine and how do you thread a needle and what color and how do you not and i can't get this out and you know the whole the whole thing there was a little boy that we met in children's hospital and it was one of the hardest things for me to bear and it's difficult to talk about he was a paralyzed and the only thing he, he was paralyzed from the neck down. And he did art by, they would put a little a colored water, uh, like paint, but it wasn't toxic, in a straw, and he'd blow on a piece of paper, and he'd make art that way. And this, this just devastated me. I, I couldn't get over it. And there was a young man who came in. He was a sculptor from next door because across the street was a foundry. A young, beautiful man, he's on the website, and he started making dolls, and I told him this story, and he said, I'm going to make my doll for him, which he called the boxer, you know, which, you know, is a fighter, the fighter, because this, you know, I don't need to explain that, I don't think. And he shows you the picture of he's working on it. We, I got a couple of pictures I borrowed from somebody because I didn't have a camera. And I have him on the website. But he, he, that boy, little boy, was given his boxer doll. And all you can do is give it with a hope and a prayer. All you can do is pour love into what you're doing and hope it transfers. And I know it does. At this point in my life, I can say that with certainty. It does. I didn't know that in my 20s and 30s. But I, I know that now. So we had, um, we had so many people, adults, come in of all ages, men and women, who wanted to make dolls for those children because they had been in Oakland Children's Hospital or Children's Hospital Oakland when they were kids. And they remembered how scary it was. That was deeply moving. That is, is deeply moving. Now, this uh, project... By the way, fellow and women and men out there, artists, this can be done in every local community. You could do this every year. It could be an ongoing project. I give that to you freely. It generates good goodwill. It generates friendships. It generates community arts. It generates the crossover between the arts and the hospital. And it doesn't have to be a hospital. It can be anything else. So it's just a great idea to do. So we did this Dolls for Peace project. It was, it was nine months. We won an award for something. We, we were it just like things started happening, and all we were trying to do was get 100 dolls. And we, did, we didn't have enough. We had like 85. And we're like at the end of the rope, you know, we have this deadline because I was graduating and moving, uh, moving. So... A friend of mine who was a part of a fabulous, 
what is it? She was part of this uh, international, but all through America, where people, crafters, would get together. And so she brought her crafting folks in, and they nailed those last, I don't know, 15, 25 dolls. And we made it. We were, you know, like 103, something like that over. So because of that, we were able to personally give the dolls to the kids. And we came out of nowhere. Uh, the people didn't know what was going on. They were all, you know, the parents were in the room with the kids who were typically in bed, you know. And the parents, many of the parents stay there all day, all night. So it's a very uh, casual atmosphere by the time we get there. But you know what? Every single child's face lit up. When they saw this, we had baskets of dolls. And, you know, we made some dolls that had head scars because some kids were getting chemo. And, you know, we, we did think about these things. And there were boy dolls and girl dolls and Chinese dolls. It was the whole deal. And to see them Now, we couldn't stay long, and, you know, we were just giving a doll out and going to the next one. It was completely fulfilling. It was so wonderful to do a community arts project, you know, our gratitude project. We're just grateful, generally grateful. And that gratitude, people came in grateful that it was free, They were grateful that somebody did something like that so they could feel good about themselves when they went home. It was was just a, a wonderful experience for everybody. And that, take that picture now, and if you listen to chapter one, you know, my, my year, my year and a half or two years in, um, the high end art industry, in the art gallery industry. If we're talking about art and healing, what is real art? That's the question that we started with. What, you know, we all are subjective. This is good art. This is bad art. Well, those were just dolls, you know, and very simple dolls, some of them. Some were made by five-year-olds. Some were made by six-year-olds. Some were made by 13-year-olds. Some were made by adults. Nonetheless, because of the, the format that we had, that we, you know, nothing could be pokey, they were very simple, and, and hence, you know, very cuddly. <laughs> but if you feel, if you feel, you know, the difference, it's something I talk about, feel into. If you feel into that picture, and you feel into the picture of being crucified in the art market by learning how to manipulate people into buying high-end art based on investment that is iffy at best, you know, to the upwardly mobile. It's a real different picture. So which has uh, the healing value? So that's a question we all have to answer for ourselves. What, What makes art have the capacity to heal? No, I'm not saying that, you know, you're going to stand up and walk but brings a healing energy, a intent, a focus, a good vibration, as we used to say in the 60s, which was a little before my time, but that has good vibes, that uh, 
when you bring it into your house or your home, it brings with it goodness. And it, you'll see on my website for my fashion store, Sunheart Boho Clothing, that um, I have on there, we believe in goodness. And that is true. I believe in goodness. I believe in the inherent goodness of people. And I feel like Fraser Crane right now. <laughs> he, he has an episode about that. Funnily enough, uh, there was an episode on Fraser about the gallery I worked for. They changed the name slightly. I'm going to have to go back and edit the name out of the Chapter 1 podcast because, you know, they wouldn't take <laughs> the art back. It's called The Crucible if you want to watch the Fraser episode. So that is a short intro into art and healing and and I hope it generates questions like, you know, you're washing the dishes and, and you go, does my art heal? How would I know if my art heals? Do I have any training that would bring that kind of intent? Uh, what would it mean to really generate a healing potential in my art, even for myself? What does transformation mean? What does transformational arts and consciousness mean? Can I bring to my art a different energy, a level that isn't as dense. Because we know, you know, dense energy is materialistic and the higher vibration, it's all levels of consciousness, you know, is well higher. It, so this is, this is the end of this podcast, but I am hoping it generates lots of questions. That was uh, Berkeley fabulous place. John F. Kennedy University. They're still going, but the Arts and Consciousness program is not. And and I think it makes a difference if an artist hears this and has an inner question, you know, in their heart that's that just questions, am I doing commercial art? Am I doing sacred art? How would I define my art? And do I have anything living in me that feels like I'm selling out? Am I doing product-oriented art? And what does she mean? And, and can I have some inquiry into that in my own life? Do I want to? Is that something I'd like to participate in? So questions are the best thing in the world for artists. Because when you ask a question, the door is open to the world. And the world soul, as the alchemists say, and, you know, Carl Jungians, they, they know that the world will answer you. But if you know this is that, and that is this, and you know that, well, okay. Okay. And the door is closed to the world soul. And you are there in your encapsulated self, knowing what you know, and you know that this is this, and that is that. So... Art and healing is more about opening that door to, I, I don't know, but I have a lot of questions. And there is the beginning to art and healing. Thank you very much for listening. This is the chapter two on the podcast, Art and Healing. Christina West signing off as an artist's life. Love you to sign up. Get on our mailing list.